eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling, and we're here to discuss USC's loss 34-32 to Utah in the Coliseum. The Trojans fall to the Utes for the third straight time in the last two years, four consecutive times dating back in this series, and potentially the last one that they play for a while, and USC just can't get it done against the Utes, and we've got a lot to talk about today, of course, with the loss, the ramifications for what it has for USC's season, as well as the future of the program. If you have thoughts, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, you can leave your comments in the chat. We can get to those a little bit later, or you can call into the show 5124-TUNNEL. But if you're here, make sure you're hitting the like button, the subscribe button, as we give you our thoughts on USC's loss. But guys, just your maybe initial reactions to USC losing to Utah once again. Yeah, so it's a tough one. And uh, it's great to have Shotgun back in studio. He's back here on the West Coast. And Jack, a lot of compliments. We've got uh, talking to pick people at the house of victory tailgate everyone's like jack how old is he he's great and uh, 13 14 yeah shock i was trying to put that's I'm, a like, I'm like he's 20 and like oh no but you got a lot of compliments so great to see you here too um yeah you know this was lincoln riley's first ever loss in the coliseum and he mentioned that and uh in the uh in the press room there after after the game it was uh it kind of went the way in the beginning the sort of the way this team had been playing there's some you know, spots where you have greatness there. USC scores touchdowns on their first two drives and then just sort of like gets away from what was working. I think they had like 100 yards rushing in the first quarter. It didn't really do much after that. Uh, you know, I think four consecutive punts and then the half and then a punt and a fumble or whatever it was. It was just a whole bunch of unproductive drives after those first couple. And then it's sort of like, oh crap, now we got to need to score. And it just feels like they're getting away from whatever's been working or just it it looks kind of clunky it doesn't look like it's a well-oiled machine on offense like we've seen before i think the defensive stuff we've seen a lot of the same kind of issues i mean notre dame numbers weren't bad it was the first time all year they didn't give up like career 
yardage or, or you know a career day to somebody, but it was all the turnovers that didn't really you know Notre Dame didn't have to do that much. But they got some stops when it was long drives. You know they did get some stops there, and they continue to do some good things. And they'll get a stop here or there. You get the pick six, which was a huge play. But man, when you're not getting those stops, it's like. It's just bad. It's not like kind of bad. It's like just bad, bad. You know, you can't you can't go from like oh three and out or pick six or touchdown. You know, and it seems like that's sort of what USC is doing, feast or famine. But you'd love to see this offense be more consistent. They just haven't been, and uh, Caleb Williams doesn't look like the same guy. And the defense, while I think they're getting more stops, they're still giving up huge plays. You can't get you know, career nights. You're talking about Bryson Barnes, the pig farmer, who. I mean, they were a limited one-dimensional offense, you know, coming into this game, and he looked like an All-American out there. And then you let uh, a safety, Sione Vaki, who you knew was good because he ran the ball well last week. He ran the ball fine, but man, catching wheel routes out of the backfield like that was uh, 150 yards. You're receiving two touchdowns like that. You can't let stuff like that happen. You can't be exploited like that's probably going to be his biggest game of the year. And it was against USC, and that's that's happened a lot throughout the you know the course of the season. Where the biggest game it was Marion uh, Miller, the the Colorado wide receiver. That's his biggest game of the year. Um, the San Jose State wide receiver is there's only three touchdowns of the year, at least as of a couple weeks ago. We're against USC. You can't let that stuff happen. So it's a little it's disappointing. I thought they would be able to kind of turn things around, especially playing at home, especially playing a beat up Utah team, and obviously they weren't able to. One of the more, I mean, probably the most, you know, the, the Cotton Bowl was really disappointing, not winning the Pac-12 championship game, but as far as like expected to win kind of thing in a game that was super important, that you needed to get some revenge after losing twice last year to come out and play like that. It, this, for me, this is the most disappointed, I would say, you know, in a, where I thought they'd kind of come in and play better uh, and they did not. I mean, I wouldn't say it's as disappointing as the Cotton Bowl because you were way ahead and you blew it. Yeah, this one is just—they're not playing well. That's what's probably the most disappointing thing uh, when you watch them is they're, they're not playing well in any facet. Really, they're very inconsistent. They're very up and down. Um, honestly, they—they they play like they're coddled. They're soft. They don't talk to the media afterwards. Lincoln Riley doesn't make them available. Um, you know, they—they they can't do anything when they're seeing different looks. They can't stick with what's working. Like that's the biggest disappointment to me is watching this, and you see Marshawn Lloyd tearing through the defense. Austin Jones was running hard as hell and picking up six, seven yards. And you know they're talking about on the broadcast like, "Whoa, they're running the ball against this Utah defense that doesn't let anyone run the ball." Yeah, we don't want to do that anymore. That was fun for a quarter, guys. Let's let's cut that out though. They ran the ball six times with the running backs in the first quarter. They ran the ball six times the rest of the game with the, with the running backs. Yeah. Marshawn Lloyd had a 45-yard run. He ends up with, what, seven carries? How do you – you got 86 yards. You had 12 yards of carry. Now, I know he fumbled. Yeah. And I understand that. But, okay, well, Austin Jones is averaging over six yards of carry. Well, we'll give him five touches. Yeah. They got like, away from it for sure. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, if it's working – and you know what else is working when you do that? Play action. The the catch by Taj Washington, amazing catch by Taj Washington – Play action pass. Watch this. Watch the linebacker level on that play. Everyone stops, oh, 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 and turns around and takes off trying to run. Now he had to beat the safety on that as well. But you know those are the type of things. Caleb Williams crushed it last year on play action passes. 
there's no play action if you're not going to run the ball. They'll, they would rather say, we're going to play everyone back because we know you have talented receivers. We'll play our linebackers back. And until you force you the issue saying, we'll run it and we'll run it and we'll run it down your throat and force you to bring someone else in the box or your linebackers have to react to the run first, if you're not going to do that, my first step as a linebacker against USC would always be back. I will give up the false step, and maybe it's an extra yard, maybe it's two, maybe a change on a third and one or something. But otherwise, I would take a false step to give up an extra yard every single time because that extra yard of the 12 times that they may hand the ball off is way more than one pass play or is way less than one pass play. So why would I not do that every single time? And so that's making it that much more difficult on Caleb Williams. That's making it that much more difficult on the on the offensive line. Um, and I thought the offensive line played much better in this game with the switch and everything uh, than they did last week at least. So, you know, they gave Caleb time. There were times where he didn't hit receivers. It's in Lincoln Riley is absolutely correct when he says, it's all of us. We're all making mistakes up and down. Sure. Yeah, sure. But it starts with calling the play right. If you're running the ball consistently, do it over and over and over. And then you can pop one over the top. USC, And then on the defensive side, you look at it, and USC, I thought, should come in with a very similar game plan as they had against Notre Dame last year. This guy can't throw to beat us. We're going to stuff your run, rush attack. Doesn't matter what he does. If he throws for 300 yards, if Bryson Barnes throws for 300 yards, and USC holds them under 100 yards, you would feel confident that they would be able to win that game. But when you give up 235 and three touchdowns on 23 attempts when you're giving up over 10 yards per attempt on passing and you also give up almost 250 yards rushing you can't you can't win that game Bryson Barnes had almost 17 yards per completion in this game who like what like that is insane that's fine if they don't run the ball at all against you (laughs) but you can't do both you can't say well it's a pick farmer and he's not gonna be able to beat us throwing but also they're, you know, Jaquinta Jackson's going to run for 117 yards. Yeah. And the most yardage, Jack, I think you mentioned this, right? The most yardage Utah's had all season, 482 yards or something like that. That's their highest total. So they hadn't had a 200-yard passing game all year, and they had four <laughs> passing touchdowns all season entering yesterday. And Bryson Barnes had one touchdown all season entering yesterday. He had four total. They had three total passing touchdowns, which almost, you know, basically almost evened what they had going coming into the game they had a 200 yard passing day while still running the ball for 270 yards it was i think good in some respects where they got some stops but i still just I, you look at it and you can't quite understand how you allow nearly 500 yards while still getting those stops only giving up three third downs uh, shotgun and i talked about this earlier it was the big play was one of the big issues again for usc but it's like even when the defense has a good day they're still bad that's true. And Lincoln Riley talks about this. And this is going to be one of those things where I get it. You're looking at some of the positives because there were, I think there's definitely more positives this year with the defense than there were last year. But it's almost like if you don't get the the great play, and I think he looks at the special teams this way too. It's like, oh, that was a great punt return. But there was a lot of other bad special teams plays in the game. Utah coming into this game, well, after this game, they're 100th in the country in yards per play. They're 4.9 yards per play. Uh, that's their average. Their last three games, uh, they're averaging 5.3 yards per play. Against USC, it was 6.9. Like, more than two yards per... Like, that's huge. More you know, For every play you run, you get two extra yards against USC than you do on your average. And it's not like 
they had a whole bunch last week either. You know, like they did better offensively last week. But this is a team that's been so limited offensively, you can't let stuff like this happen. It's not like Cam Rising was out there. It's not like Brent Keefe was out there. This was a patchwork offense that they have a safety playing running back. Um, you know, your third string quarterback in there. You're just finding ways to make it work. Those are the kind of offenses you need to just throttle and just like don't let them go anywhere. UCLA throttled. They lost the game, but throttled this this Utah offense at home. Um, you can't do stuff. Like Oregon State when they you know when Utah went there seven points. Like that's the kind of stuff you have to do. The kind of talent USC has on defense, they have to be able to shut people down. Not giving up the most yards they've had all season. Not allowing him to triple his touchdown. You know, it just he didn't look like a good quarterback at all, and you made him look like a good quarterback. You know, you just can't let that kind of stuff happen. So I was one of the believers that was like, hey, this defense is better. And it probably is, but it's definitely nowhere near good enough allowing something like that to happen to this this is a very limited Utah team and they came in motivated and did things that we hadn't seen them do all year and that's the biggest to me the indictment on this defense is you can't let teams do something that they haven't done all year and do it really well and that seems to happen over and over and over again Chuck, and before you hop in, we've got two super chats that I want to get to. But oh, then wow. We can, then we can move on. The first one, 599 from Mr. Andrew 2800. He says, All is not lost. I believe LSU won the national championship with two losses in 2007. I don't know which one of you guys wants to break the news here. <sighs> they're not, they're uh, not winning the national championship. You can't get into the BCS play. I mean, you can't get to the college football playoff with two losses now. Yeah. So, you know, it's practically, it, it's not absolute. It just has never happened. Yeah. So no. there is the possibility that everyone beats up on everyone. It's somehow you – but what would give you any inclination that this team can go on the road and beat Cal, come home and beat Washington, go on the road and beat Oregon, come home and beat UCLA, and then beat whoever in a Pac-12 championship? What gives you any inclination to that? They don't – they're not playing to their potential. If they were – if they played – they lost to Utah in the same fashion they lost last year, yeah. you'd say, okay, that's a possibility couple mistakes there was this call here this were people last year going fire lincoln riley after they lost to utah no, no. granted it's, it's his first one ever for the program but in the same situation if you flip the seasons they wouldn't be saying the same thing because they played well it's just you know things didn't go the way it was a great game they got beat in that game they beat themselves yesterday and they've beat themselves the last two weeks the turnovers against Notre Dame, and they really have beaten themselves a couple weeks before that. They just didn't take the L on the scoreboard. Yeah. I, I, w I do agree with the Super Chat, and thank you very much, by the way. All is not lost. Like, there's still positive you can get from a season. It's a gauntlet of uh, a bunch of games coming up. And you, if you can play to your potential and win them, you can go and win the Pac-12. That's I think that's still very important. But this is not a uh, college football playoff national championship type of team. Um, they were, you know, technically into it. You know, Caleb Williams was in it for the Heisman. Like, all that stuff is gone. But all is not lost. I mean, any season you beat UCLA, um, if you get to beat an Oregon team on the road that's been, you know, eating your lunch and recruiting, that's great. High-flying Washington team. There's really good things that can happen. There's cool all, opportunities. But not, Lincoln all is not They're lost. They're in an advantageous position in the conference. They have opportunities, but yes, not... I would say all is not lost, but I also would say not national championship thing. Then yeah, it's no no team has ever made the college football playoff since its inception with four teams 
with two losses. It just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So is this really the year that you think it's going to happen? And then also, do you think USC's finishing the season with two losses? I would say the money says no. We've got one more, 499 from James on YouTube. I'm trying to pull it up right here. He basically says, is this a case of other coaches catching up to Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams' tendencies? If you want to go for it, go for it. I don't know about the tendencies thing. This, just from, you know, we're around this stuff. My my feeling sort of is, and, and Lincoln Riley kind of alluded to this a little bit, like they had a lot of success last year. And I don't know if it's like reading your own press clippings and stuff. Sometimes what you do to succeed, like the work that you put in, in the first year or the first time around, isn't the same. And I'm not saying that they're not putting in work, but there could be some complacency. There could be, hey, I already won the Heisman. I got to do better than that. It feels like there's pressing going on. It feels like they're kind of doing things of for different reasons, I think, than you would uh, last year. Because I don't see why this offense should be worse than it is than it was last year. But it does seems that things seem to just be like not quite clicking there. So it seems like things are a little off, maybe just mentally from you know what your attitude was last year to this year, if that makes sense. Cohesion is not there on the offense. Yep. Uh, you know, the, whether it be a receiver, you know, whether you're putting in a freshman, you put in Deuce Robinson on a third down, and he runs and tries to go inside, and Caleb Williams wants him to come back. Just not the connection there. You know, a couple games back was the Arizona game. Dorian Singer goes inside. Caleb wants him to sit. You know, those type of things are issues, and they're not getting cleaned up. And then – you go to the offense line, and you know you're having some communication issues as well as getting beat at times. And then now suddenly Caleb's under pressure more. Teams are also scouting. Yes, there are scouting Caleb. Notre Dame did a great job. How many times last year did he bail out to his back shoulder, to his throwing shoulder, spin away, and create more time? Teams know that's his preferred move. And so they're all trying to rush on the backside. They're trying to rush high at him at that back shoulder and force him to step up. And the problem is the pocket is being pushed back more consistently this year with the, the guard and center combo um, than it was last year's guard and center combo. And I think part of that is last year you had Andrew Voorhees and Brett Nealon along with Justin Dietrich. You had two All-Americans versus Justin Dietrich and two transfers. Um, and now Mason Murphy. So, you know, it's it, one, those three guys had played together for years. So the communication is going to be even that much more in sync, um, you know, and you're going to fight a little bit more. If you've been in the trenches with somebody for four years or five years with those guys, than someone that's brand new to you. It's just that human nature of how much do you care for the person beside you? And you can love your teammate. And yeah, I want to be a good teammate and everything, but there's just something more when, you're more like family, and those offensive linemen last year were more like family. They're, I mean, their their families actually spent so much time together. Yeah, we'd see them at tailgates and stuff. And you know, we uh, uh, RJ wrote the story about Brett Elon and uh, and Andrew Voorhees deciding to come back and talking about with the families about you know how they grew into you know going to every game to, together and all those type of things, and they enjoy the trips more for outside of the games than going to see their sons play necessarily because they get to hang out with their friends and family type of thing. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there was going to be a regression naturally there. But you thought with the way the receivers were coming at, that's a stacked room. Um, and now in the way Marshawn Lloyd adds to the running game, but you're not running the ball enough. So the tendency there is why is Lincoln Riley breaking his own tendencies of being pretty balanced in his career 
uh, to not run the ball much. And, you know, the, the stats may even out a little bit because you add in Caleb's sacks and you add in Caleb's scrambles. But, like, design play co- run calls, there's barely any. There's, I think, 15, I want to say, in the game. Uh, I know the, the running backs got 12. Zach Branch got one. I think Caleb had two quarterback yeah, draws. So, you know, if that's 15 um, out of 23 runs, so eight more. So that's 42 dropbacks to 15 runs. Yeah. That's not a winning recipe. And Lincoln Riley has talked about this. He's not a true air raid guy. He's not Mike Leach wanting to do that. So it, it's, it just baffles me that he ha- he himself has gone away from it because that's breaking the own tendency that he's had in the past as a play caller. So that's what is, is super surprising to me and something that needs to be changed, to be honest. He, he mentions the play calling stuff. I'm sorry, Jack, real mm-hmm. quick. The, um, and he, you know, he talked about that. I think there was a question in the press conference and this is a fair point for him. He's like, you know, I, I think I'm a – it was so, – paraphrasing, it was like my track record for play calling is pretty good. Yeah, you've got a lot of Heismans and everything. I, I get it. And, and that's why when – if I'm – if you're going to question what's going on the defensive side, you know, have at it. Like on the offensive side, it's tough because we know he's really good at this. But there's some baffling stuff. You mentioned like the Deuce Robinson one. It's a third and nine or third and ten play. Makai Lemon and Deuce Robinson, like you have two true freshmen in there that haven't played a whole lot. And they're like the the main outside receivers on this critical down. Like it just some and, of and it stuff, wasn't just once. They did that multiple times in mm-hmm. the game. It's kind of just some of the stuff is just weird. Where it's it's like you know someone's that really good at their job, and Lincoln Riley's really good at this. But there's stuff that you're just like, I mean, it doesn't make that much sense. And the play calls on the two two point conversions that they had to have didn't seem like Lincoln Riley's best. They showcased in the first quarter. A ton of stuff. They ran the ball eight times with the running backs in the first quarter. Uh, they were running the ball very well, more than Utah entire was giving up per game in the rushing game for the entire season. USC ran for more than that. It was a convoluted way of saying they ran the ball very well against Utah, who is normally a hard team to run against. They're yeah. showing off some trickery where you've got the QB draw, then you've got the Zachariah Branch play at the goal line. Getting the ball in his hands has proven to be something positive for the offense. And it felt like for the rest of the game, they're just they didn't commit to the run. There wasn't a whole lot that was creative as well, which is something that we've touted and praised Lincoln Riley for, as we've said this entire year. Well, he's got plays in the playbook that are really going to knock the socks off a of defense. You can't prepare for him. He's going to get the ball in Zachariah Branch's hands. He's going to have you know Branch and Mario Williams on the same side of the field do something crazy. We didn't really see that even when the offense was struggling, and it felt like there were different at different points, you could use a play like that to kickstart the offense. You could use your offensive line that was playing well and your running backs who were playing well to kickstart a slow passing offense. And I think that's where people get frustrated is if the passing offense is you know killing it like they were early in the season, then you're fine with them not running the ball because you're passing the ball for 400 yards a game, you're scoring 60 points. When the passing offense is struggling, you have to be able to have it within yourself to go back to the run. And Lincoln Riley did say, yeah, I'm an, I think I'm an okay play caller, kind of sarcastically yeah. after, you know, going back to his resume. But this season has not looked the same. This is this is the worst performing offense stretch, at least, that he has had as a head coach. And it at that point, you can't keep going back to the resume after, you know, probably three weeks now. Because the last three weeks has not looked like the same resume that he had coming into USC. Yeah, I did like the change they made on the offensive line. Mason Murphy and uh, Jared Kingston. It's, it, it, you know, they scored touchdowns in the first two drives. That was good. You mentioned the two-point conversion, and the, both plays were bad. Probably shouldn't have gone for them to begin with. I mean, chasing points there, but whatever. But the... The, the, and I, the, I didn't see this on the broadcast. I haven't watched the broadcast yet. I don't know if you did. But on the first two-point conversion, someone on the peristyle, I forget who it was, pointed out that 
they didn't have the right offensive lineman out there. Mason Murphy wasn't out there. He tried to run in late. So they get the pick six from Kalen Bullock. And then they kind of screw up the, the blocking on the two-point conversion. Just some of the attention to detail. Like, if you're going to go for two, like, no, you're going to go for – I guess it's a it's a quick change play and all that stuff. But um, if that was your plan, then you kind of have to know to go in there. But there's little things like that where you don't get all the right offensive linemen going in and you blow the two-point conversion and now you're chasing points and obviously they lose by two. If they just kick two extra points, that's a tying field goal and not a go-ahead one or winning one. Yeah, and these are the type of things that have plagued them, actually. It's not just, you know, the play calling on offense or the play calling on defense or this mistake or that mistake. The organizational stuff has been an issue for USC. This is, you know, I, I haven't seen that play. I didn't finish rewatching the entire game. Um, I was in the middle of the third quarter. But, you know, the last, last week they had 10 players on an extra point. The week before that, they had 10 players had to call timeout on a fourth down defensive play. And then they had 10 players against Arizona as well on what would have been the game-winning field goal if Arizona would have made it. So, you know, those type of things are mistakes that need to be fixed at the, you know, at the administrative, at the coaching level before you even talk to about players. Like, you have to be able to get 11 people on the field consistently. Yeah. And that's become an issue, apparently. So, uh, you know, th those type of things are the ones where you're looking at, like, why, you know, these weren't happening last year. No, 10 players on the field happens every once in a while. Quick changes and things like that. But when you see a consistent pattern three weeks in a row, that's when you start yeah. going, why is this suddenly becoming an issue? Why are they having these type of issues? Um, you know, ever since the bye week, you know, going to the bye week, and maybe it's just because the opponents were terrible. Maybe that's it. They looked so much crisper with everything they were doing. Since the bye week, it, you know, there's just been things where it's just very herky jerky, inconsistent. Um, and that's offense, defense, and special teams. So I think you, you're seeing mistakes kind of all over the place like that. So uh, it, it's been very confusing, to be honest. Yeah, we've got another super chat in here. Thank you guys for, for all the super chats. And wow. we'll always get to them first whenever you put them in, uh, just as a PSA. This one comes from Phil on YouTube. Five bucks. He said, the fans saying that Lincoln Riley should be fired and is the most overrated coach in USC history need to calm down. Your guys' thoughts? Uh, I would agree. I would completely agree yeah, with that. Yeah, it's like... Maybe it doesn't work out. I mean, it, you could argue it's already worked out. I mean, they went from four and eight to eleven and three and won a Heisman. So, like, but that gives you the expectations of winning the conference, going to the playoff. Now, it's going to be easier probably to get to the playoff going forward after this season because you're going to have an expanded playoff. You'd be in the Big Ten, but like Oregon and Washington look like they're really good teams. Obviously, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. So you're going to be like you got to beat you know, half of those teams or whatever to get there or whoever you're playing that year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you feel like this is just not going to work, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. Like it, most teams would trade with you uh, at this point, you know, as far as Lincoln Riley being the head coach. Now he took over for a legend, which isn't always easy, but a, an established program at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma. I was going to say, yeah, insane. yeah, no, no, not here. And then at, at USC, it's rebuilding. You know, you need a Phoenix from the ashes kind of thing. You still got all the tradition and everything, but the team was a dumpster fire. So he's, you know, we saw Sark take over like a dumpster fire at Washington and, you know, they were really bad and, and got them to be okay. Like he's already got USC to go from dumpster fire to like really good, but now you expect it to stay really good and all that. So yeah, I think that's kind of overrated as far as um, 
you know, I, I, I think you're rolling with, as long as Lincoln Riley's going to stick around, you're going to roll with him. And no, he's 40, you know, he's 40 years old. He's going to keep trying to build on this. He's seemed very enthusiastic about the future and how long he's going to be here. So kind of trust him his word and, and see where it goes. But I, I, this is way too early to be like, no, nah, he's not the guy for the job. It's like, okay. I mean, that's, that seems a little crazy to me. Yeah. The, the fire Riley people, like, who are you hiring instead of Riley at this point? Like who are you? Who would want to come into a situation where you go, yeah, I know you're paying someone ten million dollars a year and you're gonna buy them out for eighty million, but they lost two games in a row. Like what coach has been like? Oh, I'll sign up for that. Yeah, I'm in. Like, you have to look at perception as well, like uh, of what you're creating when you fire a coach. Like if another coach looks at it and be like that, it does not look like it's a tenable situation. Does not look like they know what the hell is going on over there. Then I'm not going into that situation. So, yeah, does Lincoln Riley need to get better? Yes. Can he get better? Yes. But is he still damn good? Yes. Yeah. So, and that's part of the reason why it's so baffling. I think right now that you know the issues that they are having because one, it is on the offensive side um, where it's his baby, um, and the defensive stuff. You know, you look at it, and I like Ryan. I thought the defense would get better, and I actually thought the defense would get better as the season progressed. And that's, you know, last night's game, you look at it and be like, yeah, I just don't see that that's happening. No. So, you know, what I thought at the beginning of the season, okay, you bring in transfers, it may take a little bit of time. The freshmen they're excited about could take a little bit of time. But second half season, when you need the defense to be better, I thought it would take off and be a little bit better. And that's not been the case. So, you know, I would not be surprised that there's, you know, big time changes coming there probably at the end of the season, probably not before then. No, people are going to be upset. Uh, I know some other programs have fired some people, but that is not Lincoln Riley's uh, MO, I don't think. Yeah. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, you know, just you have to grin and bear with it right now. And, you know, we talk to players when we get the opportunity. We actually talked to Ryan and I talked to Solomon Bird a little bit earlier through House of Victory. Yeah. Um, and, you know, check that one they out. They say the same things is that they're close. Now, close is not good enough. You know, football, close is, it will keep you in the game. Close doesn't get you wins, though. Uh, but can they close that gap? And I actually asked Solomon that question. What does it take to close that gap? So you have to go you know, listen to his answer there. Um, but, you know, they feel like it's not, you know, it's not they got to make these big leaps and bounds. It's just everyone's got to do their job. Um, and that comes down to me, to coaching, is, all right, how do I get 11 guys to actually do what they're supposed to do? Whether Do I have to simplify things? Do I have to get different people in there? Whatever needs to be done, that 11 people are doing their job. I think that's the biggest issue they have right now. they got to be able to figure that out. And, you know, some of the play calls are still baffling. You know, the one of the wheel routes, you, you don't have anybody over the top. And USC, because they want to cover those tight ends with safeties, because they got burnt so much last year, especially against Utah, with the linebackers covering them um, and keeping Kalen Bullock over the top, bringing the other safety down occasionally, but they don't want to keep Kalen Bullock over the top. We're going to have him in coverage. So because of that, you're leaving the linebackers kind of free as an underneath zone, and that means there's no one over the top. So if you get beat, you're going to get beat big, and that's what's been happening. That's why USC is so bad nationally rankings in their explosive plays. They're 117th in the nation, and or no, 127th. Excuse me, not even oh, 117. Out of like 134. Out of 131, I think. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if uh, there's some provisional teams. I don't know whether at the FBS, but 127th on pass plays of 20 yards or more. 
Okay, well, maybe a little bit better against the run. 118th on runs of 10 yards or more. Our, all that's in R.J. Abadia's deep dive into the numbers, so go check that out as well. But, yeah, the explosive plays are killing, killing the defense because when they get some explosive plays, that kind of counteracts it a little bit. But your one sack doesn't matter if you're giving up a 60-yard touchdown on a wheel route. Yeah, I will say that Lincoln Riley has never had a four-loss team before. If USC goes two and two the rest of the way, they finish with four losses. That is Lincoln Riley's worst season of all time. Sign me up for a coach 100% of the time that their worst season is four losses in college football. I mean, there are blue blood teams that will sometimes miss bowl games. USC missed back-to-back bowl games you know, a couple years ago. They went four and eight. You're going to take your head coach's worst season being four losses. Who knows? Maybe that happens a couple more years in a row when they move to the Big Ten. It's hard to tell. The schedules do look tough, and the t- schedule was really tough this year. But when your coach's worst season is four losses, I think you're okay with that. But they do need to get better, and I, I think firing him would not make a whole ton of sense. We have two more Super Chats in here, so wow, we can't thanks, get to guys. callers and questions. Uh, if you guys do want to leave your questions, you can make sure to do that in the chat. If you want to call in, 5124-TUNNEL. We'll get to these two Super Chats, and then we will go to some live callers. Christian on YouTube says, Strength and conditioning is a concern of his. He said the defense looks smaller and lighter compared to these other, other big blue blood programs. That's because they are. But that's not strength conditioning necessarily. That's body types you're bringing in. And the fact that you're playing, you know, a converted middle linebacker is your starting nose tackle or starting defense tackle beside Bear Alexander. Bear Alexander looks the part, right? They brought him in. Stanley Taufu beside him, undersized. Dejan Benton, undersized. Tyron Tolini is, is 27, 28 years old, still undersized, former rugby player. So you got a, you know, a, a Transformed rugby player and transformed linebacker, linebacker as yeah. your as your two D tackles beside Bear Alexander. So it's going to take recruiting to get him out of that more so. Like Stanley Tafu, Tyrone Tulane, those guys are strong. Trust me, for their size though, and you know they can't they can add thirty pounds, but they're not going to be able to play worth a damn if they <laughs> add thirty pounds. So you know they can't get taller. They can't get you know you know that's just not going to happen. So I don't think it's necessarily the strength and conditioning. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of pointed that out. If their technique is right, they're not getting pushed around on the offensive line. And some people have pointed to that. So I don't think it's that, uh, um, you know, as far as strength and conditioning. So they just got to recruit. They've also had the trenches. They've also had some strength and conditioning successes. I mean, you look at what Kalen Bullock and Eric Gentry have done to their bodies in the last off season. You look at Caleb Williams when he stands, you know, with his shoulder pads off and, and the, in the press conference room, like he's built, they've got a ton of big plays. I don't think strength and conditioning is the issue. I think it's, you know, technique and that stuff that you were talking about. Ryan, any thoughts or should we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Uh, BDA underscore IV on YouTube says, do you think there is a culture or locker room issue? And also they ask, do you think Caleb is audibling out of run plays? So the two-part question there. I mean, I think the, the chemistry is still good. And, uh, you know, I asked Solomon Bird about like the team morale and it seems to be, you know, we... That's one of the things that's impressed me the most is like you bring in all these players from everywhere and they still had really good chemistry and you have people coming in from outside the program that become great leaders and stuff. So I don't I don't really think uh, that stuff is, is an issue. I mean, I think the locker room stuff has been good. What was the second part of the question? It was do you the, think Caleb Williams is audibling out oh. of run plays or someone asked earlier, too, do you think he's keeping the ball himself to pass on run plays on RPOs when he shouldn't. It seems that's my gut is there's a lot of our, like there's, there's options. So we can say there's how many design runs. The most design runs I saw, I think were against Notre Dame. They seem to do that a lot where they were having the least success running the football. 
Then when you're having more success, like against Arizona State, against Utah, which is surprising to have success against Utah because they've been, you're not running the ball quite as much. Uh, but it seemed like there was more design runs, you know, the previous game uh, against Notre Dame. I, my gut is that there's RPOs and, and Caleb Williams is in mind is trying to make uh, the big play almost every time. And sometimes you just got to check it down or whatever. We're just not seeing a lot of, there's design stuff that's going short, but not the stuff that's designed for like deeper and then check it down and, and pick something up. So I, that's my gut. You know, just, that's what I feel. Yeah, I think pressing is the right word that you brought up a, a while back. But I feel like at, at times it feels like Caleb is pressing that I've got to make a play now to help this offense. We're being very consistent or a penalty has pushed us back. i got to make a play now. You know, it, it's not necessarily, hey, i got to go make a Heisman moment or I'm losing the Heisman and i got to go make a play. But my team needs me right now. i got to go make a play. And he's just trying to do – it feels like at times he's trying to do too much. And sometimes you just got to run the offense and trust that the offense will work. And, you know, sometimes I feel like he's looking for the bigger play than necessarily is there. Um, and instead of, you know, and that was the Notre Dame, you know, sometimes you got to throw it away and fight to live another day. Now he's doing that at times as well, throwing the ball away and stuff like that. But just consistent, you know, that's the consistency of the entire offense, the entire defense, the entire team. It's, it's not always there. I don't think there's a cultural locker room issue either. Like, it's not like they're turning on themselves inside the locker room. The one thing that we got a little bit of a hint of from Lincoln Riley yesterday is maybe this team is looking a little bit too much at, you know, the outside noise. And I think it's it's funny because they talk to us all the time after practice. We don't pay attention to that stuff. You know, we're not paying attention to the outside noise. Like, anything that's said, you know, we're not paying attention to that at all. But Lincoln Riley was saying yesterday he feels like maybe the team has done that a little bit too much this season. And I know, Ryan, you mentioned it earlier. Maybe it's that they're looking at what the expectations expectations were going to be. Maybe they're looking at what has been said about them week to week, but they tell us all the time they're not focused on that. But it felt like Lincoln Riley yesterday was hinting that that is an issue that they have had. And so maybe it's not a locker room issue where they're turning on themselves, but their focus isn't in the right place, according to Lincoln Riley. Much easier to be a team that's coming off a four and eight season, no expectations than a team that starts the season in the top five with a Heisman Trophy winner coming back. Okay, there's pressure. People are gunning for you every single game. Everyone's watching me, all that type stuff. And that pressure can it, you can break down 18 to well, now you 27-year-olds when you had Tyrone <laughs> Tellini in the mix. Um, but, yeah, it can break some of those players down. And so are some of those guys being susceptible to that? You know, apparently, according to Lincoln Rally, it seems like the, the outside noise is affecting them a little bit. So uh, what will be the rallying cry? That's the problem. One of the issues for me is – you know, people have said last week, they said, no, this is a wake-up call. Or they said it against Arizona. It's like, the wake-up call was at Arizona State. You played like crap against a team with, like, their 74th quarterback yeah. in there. So, like, why did you not wake up then? Okay, well, then the next week, oh, that's a wake-up call. No, no, Arizona, that's a wake-up call. Notre Dame, is, is Utah going to be a wake-up? Like, or is this is this a get-out? You know, have you fallen into the, deep, into the abyss, into the sleep, and you can't get out? Like, Who's going to wake them up? Someone yeah. needs to come by and snap their fingers and you know get them out of a trance or whatever it is. Um, but I, I don't know what the rallying cry has to be, but s someone on that team has to make that happen, whether it's the coaches, whether it's a player, someone, if they want to change what is going on right now. Yeah. Because, yes, they are – this far away on this play and that play and this play and that play. You know, Jack said something about, you know, we, we argued about after the game, should they have gone down? Should Caleb Williams have gone down at the one-yard line? No. 
And oh, so I disagree, we can argue that in a minute if we really want. But do you, then I, I said, okay, well, do you what about Barry Alexander's penalty and what about the scramble? You can look at all these individual plays, and in a game that is won on a last second field goal, individual plays change the change the outcome sure. of the game. One play changes the entire outcome of the game. He misses the field goal. There you go. Completely different feeling afterwards. But when you're playing well and that happens, it's it's much different. That's the Rose Bowl against Vince Young. Two electric teams. Everyone's playing well. And one little mistake changes. USC is making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And you're saying, well, if only one play is different. You guys start playing better. So what's going to be the rallying cry to get them to where they're playing better? And then if they start playing better, then they could potentially they still can compete with Oregon and Washington, but they have to start playing better. And I don't know what it'll take for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to some live callers and we can maybe you know, discuss that decision to maybe go down or to decide to score quickly because it looked like Utah was letting them score. We can discuss that a little bit later. We've got three sure. live callers in the queue right now. We'll start, and I'll preface this by saying. Since we've got a bunch of live callers, we've got a bunch of questions, we can't make the show three hours long, get your thoughts out within 30 to 40 seconds or else we will probably hit the stop button and then go with whatever we've got from there. But we'll start with Dave from Iowa. So he wants to call and talk about the future state of the football program. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Dave, can you hear us? Hi, this is Steve from L.A. Oh, oh that's okay. Hey, Steve, what's up? Uh, so for me, I think the issue is uh, Riley over or under uh, delivering on expectations. The success he came in uh, with in year one, I think, set the bar really high. And I think going into uh, year two, uh, there was almost no chance that he could uh, even deliver uh, the expectations that, that we have, which was to make the playoffs. And I think the way that he came in, he set the tone by pulling talent out of the portal to, to win now or win soon, uh, which kind of makes it look like he was hyper-focused on building a team versus building up the program. Um, just want to get your thoughts on that. I, th I think expectations are real, and, you know, Shotgun brought this up. If you remember, like, you know, Lane Kiffin in the sanction years, they go 10-2, and two, can't go to the bowl game. They come into the season Number super high. Super highly ranked, number one in one of the polls, I believe, and uh, you know they lay an egg, and uh, you had Matt Barkley coming back and everything, and you know there's some similar things that happen there, but it's, it's different having a target on your back than not. But I think Lincoln Riley set those expectations where he talked about championships and he talked about winning now, not building. So, I mean, I, I feel like that's something he was saying. Um, but yeah, I think expectations can kind of change how you you know how you do things and uh that's it's not easy to live up to them all the time where four and eight to eleven and three that's sort of gravy now it's like okay you're expected and it's it changes the narrative a little bit yeah and they're not playing to i mean they're not meeting those expectations but if they were playing well you would feel like oh they just got to make this little adjustment or this little adjustment versus why the hell are they playing so bad compared to last year i think that's what is anger riled so many people um and then the other part of your question talking about building through the transfer portal versus building like it, this isn't the nfl where it's like all right we have a certain amount of capital uh we can either use it on draft picks or we can use it on free agents and trade versus back and forth uh you know it's it's you go out and get the most talented players and the transfer portal is the way you do it the quickest you know because they can bring they could have brought in 20 they can bring in 30 uh freshmen but how many of those guys are going to be impact guys immediately? 
you know, you got Tackett Curtis, you got Braylon Shelby. You're not getting the top 30 guys in the country. That's not how it works. So you got to go get those transfer portal guys. And it was amazing last year and still probably the most incredible part of all last season was the fact that, that they uh, were able to bring that whole unit together. And unfortunately, that just has not happened at the same rate or in the same way as it did last year as far as the culture and the camaraderie of the team, the chemistry. And that was what was the most surprising thing all last year. And so, but then again, then you become, you get expect, the expectations of it. Well, they did it last year with all these new guys. When you're bringing in less new guys this year and you've already established it some, you should be able to just ride right into it. And that hasn't been the case this year. So expectations are hampering them. If you just flip the seasons, USC fans would be ecstatic right now. You know, if they, you know, say they go two and two on the way out of here. So what is it, eight and four or whatever to finish the regular season? You know, they went eight and four last year and they uh, went 11 and three this year. People would be ecstatic and say, oh, the program's on the rise and doing all this thing. But when you establish those expectations, you got to live up to them. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I, and I do. I don't think that the way that they've gone about, you know, the transfer portal and trying to turn the program around as quickly as possible. I don't think that is a sustainable way to continue to build a championship level program in college football year to year being a contender like you're seeing what Georgia and Michigan and Alabama like what what they have done but I also think that did you want Lincoln Riley to come in and say well you know we're not going to go all out in the transfer portal because we're going to try and build this program for the long run like no you wanted to see him try and compete in the first year and he brought them almost to the college football playoff and maybe that isn't the most sustainable way to go about building a program going forward but Lincoln Riley hasn't had many seasons where he isn't trying to be a contender and I don't think if you're a USC football fan you would want him to come in and say hey in year one we're not going to try and compete this year because we're going to try and build it right at the foundation so they're trying to do both at the same time I think they've been more successful and you know on one side when it's in the transfer portal as opposed to high school recruiting and I think that they will need to become a better high school recruiting team to build the program going forward but you still have to try and compete every year yeah We've got still three callers in the queue. David yeah, is our... Let's go these faster. Yeah. All right. My bad. David, hi. You're on Tunnel Vision. All right. How are you guys doing today? Can you hear me? Yep. Hey, David. All right. So, don't bring up the defense and Grinch again. I know the offensive line issues, but I had three rapid-fire items I want you guys to talk about. You stole my thunder a little bit earlier in the program, but still want to have you talk about them. The first one is it is ridiculous that Zachariah Branch gets two touches on offense. That's ridiculous. I was thinking back to Chip Kelly and DeAnthony Thomas. Zachariah Branch should be a Heisman contender. He should be feeding him the ball in offense. That's number one. Number two is for the going down at the one-yard line, I trust our offense more than our defense. 
if we had George's defense, I agree, let's score. But we don't. We should have gone down at the one and then drain the time and then QB sneak it in. And then the last thing is the running the ball with the running backs is getting ridiculous. Ten yards a carry almost for our running backs and only 12 carries. People talking about the fumble, but if you remember the Pete Carroll days when a running back fumbled, you gave him the ball right back to build that confidence. So just keep running it until they can hold us to five yards a carry. Those are my three things. If you could talk about those three things, that'd be great. You know the drill. Fight on Frank the Tank, Steven, Ron, and Kyle. All right. Thank you, David. Thanks. Okay. Um, three. Which one do you want? Uh, I'll do the uh, touchdown thing. You want to do Zachariah? I, I had Zachariah Branches. Like, I needed for my keys to victory, he should touch the ball eight times. He only touched it twice on offense, so that was bad. Here's the thing with the touchdown. Um, this isn't a luxury touchdown. This is you need it to 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 take the lead. Like this is not you. If you go down at the one, and you get a procedure penalty, now it's you know it's. So I don't think you can forego the touchdown. Like because you're not winning the game. If it, it's one of those things, if you're tied and you can like take longer to to score or something, that's fine. Like you need these points to take the lead. There's no way you're winning the game unless you get these points. So. If you have an opportunity to get the points, I think you have to take the points. That's that's just my thought. My thought. Uh, we can get to that in a bit because uh, I know Jack wants to talk about it too. Uh, Zachariah Branch, yes, more touches needed. Uh, very interesting that they used him in a lot of different ways in that Notre Dame game. Used him in the backfield. Used him here. Used him there. I uh, didn't necessarily see a ton of that in the Utah game. Didn't see a bunch of motions or much uh, else there. Uh, so that was you. Know, Disappointing. I don't know what the right word is. Baffling. Uh, not probably not as harsh as baffling. Questionable. That, that's yeah. a good one. Um, and then the third one. Yeah. Run the, the ball. The running backs. Run the ball. Give the ball to running backs, or even put Zachariah back there. You know, he did pretty good with the the one touch he had out of the the backfield uh, against Notre Dame. Yeah, I agree with all three things the caller said, and we'll talk about the decision later. Uh, still more callers in the queue. We'll go to Frank next. Hi, Frank. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi. First off, I want to tell you, I love your show. You guys are great. And your previous caller, David, I totally agree with him. But I have one rapid-fire question for you guys, and it's about the Notre Dame game. I tell you what, I think this one is on Lincoln Riley. And the reason is, I think we went to Notre Dame without any planning without any preparation. That's my opinion. I was there at, at in South Bend when Pete Carroll won <laughs> with Bush Bush. He came with underdog with a plan. But we went there, We the only plan we had was Caleb Williams, go ahead, pass the ball. And I believe Notre Dame came prepared. I think we could have won that game. What's your opinion? Thanks, Frank. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to argue when you look at the results. It's like they didn't look like they had much of a plan. I, mean, I think they did. To be fair, I mean, you don't go in without a plan. They just sure didn't look like they had a plan. I guess that's so. If they did. It wasn't a good one. <laughs> yeah, the plan didn't work. Or they had a plan. The plan was to run the ball and to try to, you know, to be able to force their way that way. They, you know, they ran the ball way more than they have any other game this year. Um, and and it didn't work. It well, it should have led to being able to wear down the defense a little bit in the second half. And I think you would have seen that more if they didn't have five turnovers and then suddenly you're playing catch-up and it's not just that you're down, but you're down by multiple scores. So now you have to throw – so it, the playing 
got gobbled up basically by Notre Dame. You know, I, I thought it wasn't a terrible plan to run the ball the way they did. I think they should run the ball more often yeah. and then be able to use play action and stuff like that. But in that case, it didn't work because they fell behind because of yeah. the turnovers. Yeah. And that was the couple of it's passes they tried to throw in the first it's half. It's funny the game that they tried to run the ball the most is the one they couldn't run the ball. Like, it was just – I mean, there were turnovers up too. But like, they also they were, couldn't pass the ball. So Yeah, but it's just in the games where they – they could run the ball. They like sort of shy away from running the ball. And then the one that was like, he was like running his head into the wall in this one. It was like Iowa. Like, what are you doing? Like, it just looked bad, which is one of the greatest storylines. He kept getting behind the sticks and stuff with the false starts and yeah. things like that. And that's something that, that caused the mission. The fact that Utah won last night with the way their offensive line played, give credit to the Coliseum crowd actually had an impact and created some false starts and different yeah. things like that. Um, you know, the Pac-12 referees didn't call much else in the game or much else correctly, but uh, some of the false starts that, that pushed Utah back, and yet they still overcame them each time in that, that final drive. Yeah. All right. Uh, one more call in the queue. Dave from Iowa is, is right this time. I read it wrong last time. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Quick thought on Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, first of all, does the number one offense have a have a hurry up offense or a hurry up package where you don't sub out? Because that was the reason why Lincoln Riley and the offense didn't have momentum and could and you know you could argue that it you know could have cost them the game. And second, you know I keep receipts like Dion. In the spring, Lincoln Riley said um, 11, uh, less than eleven wins. This season's a failure. Are you guys ready to ask that question if another loss comes in the regular season? Uh. I mean, we, we can ask stuff about if it's a season's a failure or not. I think that's been asked before. But Basically I mean, said no to that question yesterday. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> like, I mean, we have to kind of wait to see how this plays out. Um, you know, if they win a bunch of games and, you know, make the Pac-12 championship game again, it's like that it's kind of a moot point. But um, what was the first one? Like for Substitutions. Um, yes. So the NCAA needs to, has to make an adjustment to this. this the rule where the defense is allowed to sub. I, I completely agree the defense should be allowed to sub because you saw what Chip Kelly was able to do, and it was wrecking teams, to be honest, because you're playing way too many snaps because of the way they were, the tempo they were running. Um, so they put in this rule where if the offense subs, the defense is allowed to. And it makes sense. You're allowed to match and say, okay, they're bringing in five wide receivers. I want to get some DBs on the field versus I have our jumbo package in for defense. That makes sense. It can't take 21 seconds. The one play that everyone was showing yesterday, it was 21 seconds that the referee had his hand over the ball. The play clock's 40 seconds. You get to play in, in the first 10 or so, and I think the announcer was like, well, they just waited too long to get the, the play call in or something like that. It's like, there was 25 seconds when the sub was in and USC was at the line ready to go, and the referee says no, and they got down to three. I saw um, someone on Twitter tweeting it like that. Utah's sending like their biggest defensive yeah, lineman. Is, like, exactly that 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 just video like slowly running on and off the field. Just well, they were doing it and then waiting to get all the way to him and tapping him, and he'd be like, "Oh, oh, is it me? Okay, I'll go." And then. I'll yeah. go. And it, I, literally 21 seconds of the play clock. But when that keeps happening, I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you just keep the same package in and don't lo let them substitute. But then you know? you're letting Utah win this little battle that's going on. I, I mean, well, you're not winning the battle by letting a guy take 21 seconds off of the play clock or whatever. So, I mean, I would just be like, all right, well, we're not going to sub out. If you're going to start doing it, we're just going to run a play. And there was an opportunity where there was a guy running off the field and Caleb Williams could have snapped the ball and didn't. So I think... At least if you're not going to 
you, you have to be able to combat what's going on there. So if the, if you can catch them where you can get them offside, you got to snap the ball. I think you have to be ready. And it just didn't seem like USC was ready. That was upper hand Utah all the way. They were getting the upper hand in that whole exchange. I'm just talking in general. I'm not even talking about it necessarily being Utah-USC. It's, it's so annoying if you're watching a game and you're like, well, we can't play football because there's a big guy trotting. Like, it used to be... How much more fun was it actually to watch when the big guy had to sprint off the field? Like, oh, is he going to get off? He's going to get like it created some tension. Uh, but no, now we got to wait till the trotter gets off the field before we can play football. Oh wait, you you guys, we're not going to stop the clocks for the chain anymore. They're just cutting out more and more plays out of the game. Yeah, I want to watch college football. I don't want to watch people trotting, and I don't want to watch the referees. And yet the Pac-12 gives me all that over and over and over yeah. again. Only, yeah, but no holding call on uh, Washington and Arizona oh. State. Ooh, Not going to get you started on that one. All right, Ooh. we've got questions in the chat. Let's go rapid fire through yeah, boom. all of these. Quick, quick. The first one comes from John on YouTube. It's a take it or leave it. He says, as currently coached, USC will not beat Washington, Oregon, or UCLA. So I guess your thoughts on whether USC goes 0-3 in those games. Leave no, it. Leave it. I'm going to leave that one as well. I think they win at least one of those. People want to say that someone's like, oh, they're going to lose to Cal. They're going to get killed by Cal. It's like... I mean, Cows. have you ever watched Cal? Like, I get it. Like, USC is not playing well, but holy shit, people! You're like, oh, they're going to lose all their games, and and the next, all they're going to go six and six. This, someone said in the chat, like, Ryan won't address that they're going to go six and six. Like, you really freaking think they're going to go six and six? If you think that, like, go ahead and come back if they do, and I'll be like, nice job. Uh, but if you're a fan of the team, that's not what I would really be focused on. I certainly wouldn't be betting on something like that happening. Well, we were so close to rapid fire before Ryan had to rant. So well, there's just like, we'll keep going. Sometimes rapid you need fire. to rant. Socrates on YouTube says, is this year's team worse than last year's squad? He thinks last year's team would win easily because it's a better offensive line and you've got Thule and Mackay. I think you've got to shut down corner Christian Roland Wallace. And I think you've got elite pass rush this year. It's just in a combination. So I think those two points, the di biggest difference is just the offense line. Um, so you're comparing that to, you know, last year's defensive line. You're, you're comparing the two lines. So I, I think it's pretty much kind of a toss up because once again, you have a lot of the same guys. So I'll take the guys one year older. And it's not even just, but I'm not looking at guys. I'm looking at a team. They were, seemed like a better team last year. So I would take last year. Do, are we saying that the first team has Caleb Williams playing at Caleb Williams last year level? And then this year has Caleb Williams playing at his current yeah, I'm level? I'm looking at this level. Or are they playing the, it's the same Caleb Williams on both sides. Cause I'm taking last year's team. If they've got last year's Caleb. Yeah. Williams. I think it's last year's everybody but i also think yeah the cohesion is a big point of that back on youtube says considering utah had a second string pig farmer as a quarterback and almost all their skill players injured did this seal grinch's fate as a defensive coordinator i think he's third string to be fair but um <laughs> which he was like he wasn't but yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was a walk-on previously um i don't think i don't see how you bring alex grinch back i i don't i mean to, to me this was like if you make a run and you want to keep them, that's fine. You can't, I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think there's a way that you could do that now. And if, if Lincoln Riley does, personally, I would think that's a mistake, but you know, that's just me. Okay. Uh, TC on YouTube, and I'm going to paraphrase this question. Do you think the players are, do you think it's a disservice that the players aren't being made available after a tough game? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Shotgun tweeted this. I, I've been doing this over 20 years. I've never seen something like this before. Um, to do it two weeks in a row is, uh, yeah, I get it. you lost. You lost the game, but you still, you know, this is something that you do. You talk. Look, are you, are you are you building football players or are you building men? I mean, that's the whole question every coach will talk about. I'm not just here to build a football player. I'm here to build uh, this him to be a better man, to be a better husband, to be a better father. 
if you get fired from your job, are you just going to hide it from your wife? <laughs> like they had they had layoffs at the at the you know at the office, honey. But, but I'll tell you six months from now, <laughs> like you got to go and face the music. And like I know some people are going to say, well, they shouldn't have to talk to you at all. It's part of building your character for one, so you should want your players to do that, and you know, fa- and you should want it to, it to feel the pain of that game. Yes. But you shouldn't want them to say, have to go face the music and say, you know, I don't want to have to face the media after a loss like that. I'm going to use that as motivation or whatever it may be. But it just feels like it's a disservice to the players if you're trying to build them as people to just say, you know what, I'll, I'll shield you. Are you going to shield them the rest of their life? Yeah. Because that's basically, I, I'm pretty sure that was Lincoln Riley's thinking is that I don't want them, I know this hurts for them. I don't want them to have to go through it. I, I think that is it. I mean, the alternative is, I want to control the narrative and I don't want anyone else to say anything. That's the alternative. So I'm going to say I think it's him trying to shield his players and be protective of them. Are you going to be able to protect them the rest of their lives? Or are you going to make them into men that can handle their own shit? Yeah. Like, and I had people formerly in the USC sports information department reach out and go, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of the things that makes you USC's players has been forever, makes them unique. It's even in that NLRB, uh, National Labor Relations Board document that uh, they think it's educational for them. USC put that in a yeah. in a legal brief. Um, so it's not just my opinion. But that USC's USC players good, yeah. are better prepared. And we hear this from NFL media all the time that – Man, the USC players, we love going to them and talking to them because they have handled the media. They know, you know, the right things to say, all the type. They can understand the questions you're asking. You know, they weed through the BS of a bad question or whatever it may be. Um, and I think it's just a disservice to the players and to the fans. I think the fans want to hear from their leader, the leaders of the team to find out if it's better. So, you know, if you think it's just about us because that's what the reactions we get is, oh, you media, you think it's all about you. No, I think it's about if you're if you're in this as a coach, you're in it to be a teacher and to be be a builder of character. And I don't think that you are helping the players to become better men um, in the future by protecting them at this juncture. And and people are saying, you know, they're not professionals; they're not obligated to speak to the media. They are making way more money than me. Come on, guys. <laughs> there's the, there's one thought about it, but then also they are if 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 they're training to play in the NFL, the NFL sometimes you don't have a, a choice. Sometimes you can get fined if you don't show no, up. To there talk is to the no media. choice. You have to speak. To the media. You have to be available to the media. And that's why the whole Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I won't get fined. Because literally, if you are not available in your locker for the media, you get, get fined fine. for it. Yeah. And it's part of your it's part of your job duty. Now, it's not the same as, as, as a college athlete. Now they some of them are being paid handsomely, and like I said, a lot of them are being paid way more than I am. Come on, Ryan. Um, but it, it's it's Catch part passes. of getting oh, well, I used to. <laughs> Run faster. Um, but it, it's part of is part of not the occupation, but it's part of the learning experience. The collegiate experience is talking after. I mean, and the I played at D3 school and I talked to the media. Yeah, in the NIL world, you do want – the more quotes you have out there, you want to promote yourself. And That's this is true. all part of it. And it's it's one of those things – if you know, if you – Jack's going to graduate from college soon. Every time you go for a job interview, it's good because you're getting experience. You can interview for a job that you don't want, but you're get, getting asked questions. Oh, they asked me this. I didn't even think about that. So next time you go, and it all helps. And, and, for the, and if there was a player that just didn't want to talk to the media, 
I mean, we really don't talk to them because they're not very good to talk to anyway. So, but most people do. You know, most people want to like. You know, with everyone we've had for uh, House of Victory, they're like thirty minutes long. People are just talking, and we're having a great time with them, and they're they're enjoying it. Maybe you could justify having only two players in Lincoln Riley on the road at Notre Dame, but when you're at home like that, like certainly never seen anything like that. That's like this is like only Lincoln Riley, and that's it. That that did not sit sit very well with me. So I, I, I'm sure we're going to have to talk to USC about this at some point because like, are they never going to talk after a loss? What's going on here? Uh, but uh, yeah, 20 plus years, never seen something like that. And practices were shorter this week. We were told week one of the season that no coaches or, or other coordinators will talk at any point after the game, even though we got Alex Grinch a little bit last year, even after some tough games. This year we were told he, like before the season he won't speak after any game. It kind of, it, I put it on Twitter last night, it's like the grip has just been consistently closing. We were in practice for a combined total of like 10 minutes across two days this week. And, and previously, okay, once upon a time there were open locker rooms. The sanctions stopped that. Um, and then it was as USC's players flowed out, just to give you guys the behind the scenes of when we normally would get interviews, as they flowed out the tunnel and went up the tunnel to the bus or to see their families, to walk back to campus, whatever, um, we could grab them. And they had the option. There's plenty of players like, hey, can I grab you? And either I don't want to talk because I had a bad game or whatever, and that's an option for them, or my family's waiting on me. I haven't seen so-and-so forever. Yeah. And we're like, okay, we'll catch you on Tuesday, catch you on Wednesday, you know. Congratulations on the win or, you know, tough loss or whatever. And they're all on their way. Now they don't get that option. We get certain people brought into a room to us. Um, and so, you know, because I love talking to the random person that's on a special team or something. I see something, you know, because I like getting those tidbits to prevent to present to you guys to give a little bit extra. And those got taken away last year. Um, so that is the the, the tightening of the grip that is, has happened over the last couple of years. Yeah. All right, we'll go to the next question. Phil on YouTube says, what other moves does Lincoln Riley have to make besides hiring a better defensive coordinator in his opinion? Probably rethink how you run special teams. It just seems like it'd be better to have someone overseeing the whole thing. I know he's given an explanation of why, but to me it just seems like it needs a little bit more oversight. I would agree. I think you can, you've can. you got two coaches dedicated to wide receivers right now. That's a position that has been disappointing over these last couple weeks. I feel like they'd be better off with one of those with one other staffer being a special teams coordinator and Lincoln Riley has said, well, what will they do for the rest of practice? Put them on quality control to make sure you have 11 people on the field at all times to make sure you don't have throwing people down after the play penalties. You can find a spot for someone. And if you can't find someone that can coach special teams and do something else, then you have to be better at being able to hire people if you can't find someone that can handle that duty. I mean, I actually liked his explanation that he gave on Tunnel Vision of, you know, when he came in, he was able to kind of hand Trojans Live. Trojans yeah. Live. Uh, sorry. Um, should be on Tunnel Vision. We're going to get an exclusive interview. Get, get over House here, Lincoln. Um, but I, I like the idea. He said, you know, I hire people that had special teams in their background to be able to do that. But I think it, whether you come out and just give him a title and, and say Ryan Ryan Doherty is the special teams coordinator. He's not on staff. I mean, he's not on field, but yeah. he is the – like I would just give the title um, so that, you know, it can be all pointed in one direction. And, but it, it, that just need, that needs to be cleaned up a little bit. There's just a lot of things that need to be cleaned up right now, um, and, and I don't think that's necessarily a giant organizational oversight type of thing, but there's a lot of things that are a little bit falling through the cracks, and maybe Lincoln's trying to do too much – as the head coach and an offense coordinator, um, and trying to remember, he wanted to he wanted to focus on the defense a little bit more this year, 
And so I'm sure he's helping out with special teams. Maybe he needs to pull the reins back himself. Uh, maybe hire extra analysts or whatever it may be to, to help out. Uh, but it feels like there's some things that are sliding through the cracks a little bit right now. Uh, three final questions. First one comes from Cameron on YouTube. He says, Emmanuel Acho said in an article that Caleb should be fiscally responsible by sitting out for the rest of the season to prepare for the NFL. Should he sit or not? No, that's not him. It's it. I, I posted about this. It is terrible to give advice to a player to quit on his team. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah. Fiscally responsible is an interesting way to put it because, you know, what happens during NIL? Then? I mean, these are, these are type of things we haven't really – this is a new era. Yeah. You know, Lincoln, I mean, Caleb Williams, if he doesn't have the top NIL in the nation, then is it top 10 at least? It will say at minimum it's top 10. Are there any stipulations upon that that if healthy you have to play in games? Maybe there are. Maybe there aren't. Maybe that goes into the next NIL contract for somebody. I don't know. But it, fiscally responsible is an interesting way to put it. I don't think that Caleb would do that just because that's not his it's nature. Not his personality. Uh, he cares way too much. If he didn't care, you wouldn't see the tears, you wouldn't see the anger, you wouldn't see all the emotion he has. Um, so I don't think he will do that. But fiscally, I just thought that was an interesting way to kind of put it. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure the NFL would have NFL scouts would have a pretty good response to him, you know, deciding to sit the back half of the season. NFL scouts, it it doesn't matter. They'll they'll still love his talents. Uh, some teams will be like, "Oh, I'm not doing that," and maybe he slides to a better team. Uh, but like. That was the whole thing when players started skipping bowl games. Like, oh, what are NFL teams going to think? Is any NFL team right now going to say, we will not draft anyone that skips a bowl game? No, they're not no. willing to do that. I they're think, looking for questions, though. They're like, yeah. oh, like, oh, you didn't play the last four games. And so that'll be something that comes up a lot. you know. And there's a difference between a bowl game and you know the rest of the season when your team's only lost two games. Trek Ranger on YouTube said, do you trust Lincoln Riley to pick a new defensive coordinator if he thought Grinch was a good hire? I mean, Lincoln Riley's a really good coach, so yeah, I think you trust him to. I, I don't to know. Be. Would you trust Urban Meyer? Because he hired Alex Grinch. He thought it was a good coordinator. Yeah, a fair point. All right, final one is one we've been punting towards the end of the show. Super OC Holmes on YouTube says, asking why I thought Williams should slide instead of the touchdown. I'd give my opinion. It's the same as the caller said. I trust the offense to score from the two or three yard line in four plays, even if you get a procedure penalty, more than I trust the defense to not give up a field goal or more on that last defensive drive. And I understand if you get the two-point conversion, the field goal doesn't matter quite as much because then you can go to overtime. I'm putting the ball in the offense's hands. You lost to Utah last year because your defense was the last side on the field in reality after the you know USC had like a minute on offense with no timeouts. But you lost because the defense couldn't get that final stop last year against Utah. Leave the ball in the offense's hands, especially when you see this is you're playing into exactly what Utah wants. All right, here's my question to you, Jack. How many plays do you take a knee? Just that one? And you score on the next play going in? I think because if you take a knee right there at the at the one yard line, Utah's gonna call a timeout. You score on the next play, what happens? The same exact thing plays out. You wasted one time. At the, I, I, except it, Utah I, doesn't call a timeout. I slide at the two. To, to I slide up, at the two. To set up their kneel down. That's it. That's the only thing that changes. So are you going to say, okay, well, we'll get to the one. Now take a knee. I think you slide at the two and, and you run the ball up the middle. At the very least, you've at least burned one timeout. If they want to let you in the end zone... At the, you've at least taken the one time out. But my point out. is, Who knows is, if is the, exactly the same thing happens. But you don't like you don't know how Utah plays out. with a you don't know how Utah plays with one we last saw, timeout. The, you saw all that they, they, all they did to. with the timeout was take it was move the ball over. They would have just kicked the field goal from the right hash. That's the only difference that timeout made. 
But I'm saying that you don't like the game doesn't maybe doesn't play out the same way. The game is going to play out exactly the same way. I don't know. It, I, I I still think if like, you, if you're not going to say, well, no, take a knee on the first down, first and goal, take a knee as well. All right, now it's second and goal from the three. And I'm not taking any. I'm I'm running the ball up the middle, and it, it, like at least you've burned the one timeout. I know that we're, we're like we're saying you're saying hindsight. It wouldn't have mattered had they had less one less timeout. But the decision, like it is a net positive to have them go into that final drive with one less timeout. Even if they even if it turned out that they wouldn't need it, it is the right decision to even if they're going to let you score on the next play, take a timeout with you. If if you are going to score on the next play, if you can guarantee that. But, well, I'm saying if Utah was going to let you score on the next play, like you're insinuating. I mean, I'm not even insinuating that. I'm just saying you did score. Because I think Utah thinks, all right, we can get a four four down stand yeah. from the two. We trust our defense. That's one of the. But, do, but do you trust? So so say Utah does that, and they're not going to let USC score. You, do you trust USC's defense to get a stop? Field like can't allow a field goal more than you trust I, USC's offense to score on Utah's defense four plays from the two. Yeah, yes I would no? trust the offense more in that situation, but I'm also losing the game. And I have how many times have we seen the offense shoot itself in the foot? How many times have we seen the defense shoot itself in the foot? But it's how a many lot times more. have we seen the offense? Because well, at least you are ahead. Then you at least got to give the defense a chance. Defense never even gets a chance if you don't score. I think you have to if you have the opportunity. It's not a luxury. Yeah, you're not ahead. I thought that was a good way. I the feel Ryan like put this it. is you have to take the lead when you can. Now you can't like percentages and things like that, but this isn't you know you you are you don't have the lead. This the opportunity to get the lead is to get into the end zone, and if you can get there, then I think you'd rather have the lead and then worry about the other shit later. But um, I get it. I think I think people have done stuff like that. Um, I personally wouldn't think that's the right thing to do, but I you know I get when people are arguing it. But I, I think if you have an opportunity to take the lead, you got to take the lead. How many then, false starts we've seen this season? How many times when Caleb scrambles, is there a holding call? And do you trust the Pac-12 reps not to call something? Yeah, you could get an offensive PI call, like, like oh, 15 <laughs> yards. Like, okay, now you're screwed. That's the other thing, too. It's like if you hire, uh, you know, the, the guy with an MBA from Harvard for the job, like your boss is probably not going to get pissed if, he, if it doesn't work out. Like, if you go down at the one and you don't get in and you, you just lose because of that, you could have scored. That looks way, way worse than if you scored and then give up a, a late field goal. Like that's that's a fireable offense if you don't get in at that point because you could have walked in and you said, nah, I'm not going to. It's just one of those things where like and you also, get fired for that. And the defense wasn't playing terrible at the time. I mean, the defense had played all right um, and oh, would have been, what, fourth and four without the Bear Alexander Targeting penalty? Yeah, that was... And you wonder... Was, see, that's where you go back to, well, okay, it was one play here, Well, one but play I, there. I don't think this if is a one... And, if it's fourth and four, does USC get in? I mean, does uh, does Utah pick it up? Like, does that... If they have to run that fourth and four, do they run out of time to be able to get down for that extra one? If they don't have that 15 extra yards, are they going to be able to get down? You can go back and just nitpick all these small things, and that's what Lincoln Riley and his staff are doing over and over and over in each game, and that's the problem right now. Because they are not playing to their potential, and so now you're grasping at every single play that, oh, what could have been? Because there's all these small mistakes that are adding up, adding up to a, what, 40, or a 34, 32 loss to Utah. And as, uh, as Reddit Utah put it, the trilogy uh, with photos of Caleb Williams after losses to Utah. Nice. You're comparing plays to a decision, and I, I think you can't t you know, turn back the clock on plays. I don't think Bear Alexander chose to target and rough the passer 
USC chose to score. They they probably had a discussion. Hey, Utah's probably going to try and let us score, or if they do, here's what we're going to do. There was not a discussion that I I can almost assure. Wish we would have had the chance to ask about it last night. That was the oh, question well, I was going to ask. We uh, could have had asked more than six questions to Lincoln Rally. I think it would have been interesting because he did drop back and then he scrambled for the touchdown. But like no, that was a design QB run. Yeah, and Utah. I mean, the, the Utah did not try and, and they let him. They let him score. And, and and then if there was not a discussion about hey what are we going to do if Utah wants to let us score then the coaching staff did something wrong, in my opinion. And 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 I think when you're comparing yes you know one play that the defense made saying well if they didn't make this play then they win you can't compare compare a play to a decision. I'm not questioning the play to score. I'm questioning the decision to score because I I, I would bet that they're smart enough to realize hey Utah might do this. Here's our thought if they do. That's my opinion. I don't know that Utah let him score, but yeah, I'd have to go back. Watching the watch playback, it, it doesn't. I mean, for how much they were fighting, like watching Cole Bishop run down Zachariah Branch, literally the play before, so it that, didn't look the same. Well, what, why why, why don't just let him score? Yeah, <laughs> just let him score then. Like then, then it's better because because they go into that punt thinking, okay, w- like we're gonna they're gonna have the ball and need to go seventy yards. Not yeah. like you can't like. They didn't have Utah didn't have a discussion before that play, but I'm sure Utah went out and said, hey. We trust our offense to go score on their defense more than we, you know, we trust stopping them from the 15. Yeah, I mean, I think when you still have to score a touchdown, you know, right, we'll see. Well, I, I want to go back and look and see, but whatever. I mean, I, I think you can overthink things. Like, if you're going to take the lead, take the damn lead and just figure it out after that. Uh, there's a lot of decisions. You can also, you want to go to another decision, Jack? How about fourth and six from the 44? I would have gone for that too. That's yes. a very Set it during the game. strange one from Lincoln Riley with how aggressive he normally is. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, okay, there's one decision. What, what about that one decision? I don't, yeah, decision I don't like the two-point, con- I don't think you go for the two-point conversion either. Like, you, yeah, you weren't, you weren't forced to, and plus they did it poorly. I mean, it was like, you weren't ready for it, and yet an offensive lineman didn't even get in. Uh, I'd rather just kick the extra point, but you know that. I mean, that's hindsight. But just at the time, I was like, "Why are they?" Go-? I mean, it just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense. You're like chasing instead of just like, "All right, here we go." All right. Someone said, "What's the point? What's the point of even debating this now?" And I'm getting to that <laughs> point of agreement. Do you guys have any thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Obviously, a tough loss. Tons of ramifications for this season as USC's kind of goals have really slipped away. They're likely impossible to be reached now and ramifications for the program going forward. Any final thoughts? Okay, so Cal sucks. They're not bad. They're not good. Um, yeah, so is Arizona State. Right. So and Arizona Colorado. State. But okay, this is college football and weird shit happens. Like Washington beats Oregon. Looks really good. They welcome in Arizona State, who sucks. And Arizona State's beating them until the very end. And they should have won, and they got all these calls at the end that screwed them over. That that happens. Like, your ups and downs, and um, it just happens in college football. Is it possible that USC loses a game to Cal? It is. I don't think it's very likely, but get a win, then get your back. And, you you know, you have an opportunity. You get to play Washington at home. We've seen them play well. We've seen them, you know, Penix didn't throw a touchdown on the road at Arizona. They almost lost to Arizona State. They won without an offensive touchdown. Yeah, they didn't get an offensive touchdown in the game. So, I mean, this is wacky college football. So, if you're like, USC sucks, they're going to lose to everybody. I guess they could, but they also could beat everybody, too. And you're like, no, they suck, they can't. You've seen terrible teams do amazing things. Stanford looked like ass against UCLA last night. And in the first half against Colorado. And then they, but they beat Colorado. Like, this is college football. Crazy shit happens so just oh they're just gonna suck and lose every game okay fine that 
how fun is that? Like, go have a good time then. This is all this crazy stuff. So, so there is a lot left to play for. How good would you feel beating UCLA at the end of the season? Whatever it is, there's just there's opportunities there, and uh, we'll see if USC can turn around and and get things right. They might play like crap in all these games. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't just say the season's over. There, everyone's terrible. Um, I yeah. So. That's, that's my thoughts. <laughs> Utah takes a lot of pride in what they did to USC last season. They entered the first game against USC last year already having two losses. They lost to Florida, and then I believe they lost another game. Yeah, I don't remember exactly who it was to. And then they beat undefeated USC to really knock them back. And then they still made the Pac-12 championship game, even maybe when they shouldn't have. They got a little help from Oregon. And then they beat USC again. USC could do that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, comparing the two programs in their current state, but like that is the, the position that USC is in. You can take pride in knocking someone out the rest of the way. Yeah. You can also take pride in just playing well. That's true. That would be nice to see uh, for the USC fans, I think. I think they would take that. Start with that. Play. Don't play like us. Play good. Yeah. <laughs> stop playing soft is one of them and like it's mentally soft with some of the penalties it's you know coddling the players um it's you know physically soft too getting pushed around at times go up to to berkeley and be emphatic in something they have not been emphatic in a road win you know so this season has not happened yet and they haven't been emphatic in over a month month and a half now in anything they've done yeah so emphatic would be the word of the week for me like make something happen and if, if you play to your potential you'll do that so you know it comes back to all those little things all those single plays along the way and you know one big play can drastically change an entire season if USC gets some momentum and plays their potential yeah they can be Oregon yeah they can be Washington and they could be in the same situation that Utah was in last year where you're going strong and you try to take a Pac-10-12 championship and when's the last time they did that? It's been a long time. Yeah. So that would be something to play for. And that's something that also you would like to – and granted, we didn't see talk to the players, but like you would like to see some fire. Like you see some of the, the other podcasts that they're doing and stuff and like, yeah, it was a close game when they're playing. Like no one's coming out and being like, this shit needs to stop. Yeah. Like I want to see that from somebody. Now maybe there's some of that coming behind the scenes because we don't get to see much anything, but like – I want somebody to come up publicly and say, like, we're going to play better. I'm going to make sure of it or whatever it is. And, like, I don't know what you guys would think. To me, that'd be like, that's not soft. It's too much soft. Let's get some not soft. That's some hard edge to somebody. You know, that's something that, you know, I'm looking forward this week to see if there's anything different or if it's the same thing. We're just staying in our routine. You know, we're going to fix the mistakes. No, you're not. You're going to have the same mistakes over and over. Yeah. You guys keep having the same mistakes over and over. So I want to see something that's different. And, again, because we don't get to watch practice anymore, we can't say, oh, they did this thing different or, oh, they did that thing different. But you would like to hear at least afterwards, if someone talks to us, that they changed something up. We we went to – remember the Chris Hawkins? They went to Clay Helton and said – we need to change this right here. Their leadership council or whatever it was, they had a couple players and said, we need to change. We need to play music at practice or what? I, that was a small change, but like someone needs to go and to the leadership council to in front of the team, whatever it takes. Someone has to say what we've been doing is not acceptable guys. 
of course there's pressure. Of course there's expectations. But what we've done so far this season is below average for what we anticipated, what we expected. It's not about outside expectations, about what our expectations. And no one, it seems, has done that so far. Yeah, yeah I think that's what we were looking for the opportunity to do yesterday. That's why it's like when we don't get to talk to players, it's like if, if it, that's a coaching decision, you're, you're limiting certain players from the ability to even – do that if they wanted to. Uh, so we'll see how it goes on Tuesday and Wednesday. But yeah, you've got players across college football that they'll step up after a loss and say, it was unacceptable. I was terrible. It's not going to happen again. We're going to fix this. NFL, that happens all the time. We haven't really seen that this year. It's kind of a more like, you know, that's that's a play I don't normally make. Or, you know, we were a little inconsistent. We, we had some mistakes, but we're going to fix them. We haven't seen anyone kind of come out lay it down on the table and say, you know, we suck. We're not going to let this happen again. We're going to get better. It's kind of just been like a, yeah, we're going to keep that same routine. So as Jimmy McGinty would say, they need some heart you know, yeah. from the replacements. Um, and you think back to heart, gut-wrenching losses. Also, Lincoln Riley said this is gut-wrenching. I would say that loss to, to Georgia in the Rose Bowl was probably more gut-wrenching for him in overtime. Yeah. But yes. I, I digress. Um, gut-wrenching losses. Tim Tebow. Did he speak after that loss to Mississippi State? He did. Did it change their season? It did. Okay, let the players talk, guys. I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you guys so much for watching. We had a ton of people in the chat, ton of callers. Sorry if we didn't get to your call or your question, but thank you guys so much for watching. If you're still here, make sure you're hitting the like button, the subscribe button, the notification bell. Wherever you are, we'll have Tuesday practice, Wednesday practice, and the last weekender in maybe USC history, at least as members Ooh. of the Pac-12, heading to Berkeley next week for USC versus Cal be out there at home and hopefully see a lot of you guys out there as well in Berkeley. But thank you guys so much for watching the show. For Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling, I'm Jack Smith. We will see you guys next week. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions if you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.